BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost. My turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. You know, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean exactly that. Free. Switch to Pure Talk today and you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. Now, qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and, of course, mobile hotspot. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean and claim your eligibility for free, your brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Again, it's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, and switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. All right, glad you're with us. Uh, breaking news at this uh, hour as we're coming on the air here. So, and I'm just getting bits and pieces of this news. So there was a press conference with the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, on the opioid issue earlier today. And Catherine Herridge actually took the time to ask the Attorney General about the issue of FISA abuse And he has announced, although the media doesn't seem to have picked up on how profound this is, uh, an investigation into FISA abuses, uh, which is a huge story. Let's we've got the audio. Let's play it. With the release of the Republican uh, staff memo from the House Intelligence Committee earlier this month and now the Democrats version available over the weekend, a lot of Americans are asking if this is business as usual at the FISA court. Will your department investigate? And if the evidence is there, hold FBI and Justice Department officials in contempt? We believe the Department of Justice must adhere to the high standards in the FISA court. Um, And, yes, it will be investigated. Um, And I think that's just the appropriate thing. The inspector general will will, uh, take that as one of the matters uh, he'll deal with. Uh, We'll take that as one of the matters that he will deal with. Now, that's a huge story because FISA abuse, what is is FISA abuse all about? Well, it's everything we've been telling you. And that is, and everything that the Nunes memo has been telling you, and everything that the Grassley-Graham memo is telling you, and everything, frankly, that even the Schiff memo is telling you, and that, yeah, the Steele dossier was the key to the FISA warrant. And as former Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe has said, without any dossier, there wasn't even going to be an application made for a FISA warrant. 
And then, of course, the FISA warrant application, what did they do? They hide the dossiers, connections to the Clinton and the DNC. In other words, that Hillary Clinton bought and paid for the phony Russian dossier with Russian government lies and salacious details that the FBI never corroborated, Fusion GPS never corroborated, nobody had ever corroborated, but it comes the, becomes the basis of a FISA warrant application, or as the Grassley-Graham memo says, the bulk of the application, and they just relied on, quote, Steele's credibility, even though in the process they end up firing him for breaking one of the cardinal rules of the FBI, and rather than verifying and corroborating the credibility of the memo. This, this, this is unbelievable here, what's happening. Now, we'll have a lot more on this in the course of the program today. That's literally just breaking as we, become, as we come on the air to you today. Um, we have another big story that we've got to deal with here, and it deals with this Broward County Sheriff, and Scott Israel is his name. And now that we're discovering that the one armed deputy that was on site at the school, while the shots were going off, never entered the school. And why didn't... What's so funny, Ethan? Why are you laughing in there? Well, go ahead and put your mic on. You might as well share it with the class. What? You can tell us. It was just the way that you you said the one armed deputy, and I got confused because I was thinking that there was a one-armed deputy standing outside the school, not oh, an armed deputy. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Okay, a we, lot. Apparently, <laughs> you asked for it. Yeah, of course. So everything's Hannity's fault. If the dog bites, if the bees stings, if you're feeling sad, no, that's my, if, that was me. That was me. Yeah. If treat jumps, if treat jumps, that's Just absolutely sure treat's fault. Sundial today, okay, there, pal. All right, let me get back to this. So, this is where we are with this. So, if you go back less than two weeks ago, you got this deranged psychopath, Nicholas Cruz murdering 17 people at this Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in in Parkland, Florida. Okay. After dozens of encounters with law enforcement, remember, multiple dire warnings. You know, everybody's now rightly asking the, the smart question here, which is why nothing was done to prevent, prevent this kid from going on this rampage? And then the timid response that we're learning about. On the day of the shooting, and then these the bizarre rantings of this Broward County Sheriff, uh, Scott Israel. And wait till you hear the breaking news from Sarah Carter today. I'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, as I, I said this on TV last night, if you start with the word, see something, say something, that's exactly what happened in the case of the, the Stoneman Douglas shooter, Nicholas Cruz. You know, the FBI was warned twice about Cruz. One of the calls, remember, the FBI actually followed up on the one call because he had posted on Facebook. The guy screenshots it and, and screenshots it, and you have him saying, oh, my goal is to be a, you know, a, a school shooter, professional school shooter. Or at least the FBI met and followed up in that particular case. But following up, we don't know that anything happened in terms of did they ever confront Cruz? Did they ever go talk to him? Did they talk to his family? Did they, you know, what did they do to stop this? The people saw something. They said something. That's exactly the right thing to do. Who's going to put up on social media? Oh, I want to be a professional school shooter. Never heard of anyone saying something that insane before. Anyway, so that was one incident. In fact, the FBI was warned another time. And this was one call only weeks before the shooting where an unidentified woman is telling the authorities that she fears that Cruz is going to quote. This is a quote now. 
get into a school and just shoot the place up. The Naples Daily News reported the Broward County Sheriff's Office received 18 warning calls on this guy since 2008. Law enforcement visited the home of Nicholas Cruz 39 times over a seven-year period. I mean, maybe they should have just had a spare bedroom for the for law enforcement in the back of this, this family's house for crying out loud. Who gets called on 39 times? That's somebody you better have a very keen eye on because of something like this. Anyway, then we also know that when he was enrolled at the school, Stoneman Douglas High School, that Cruz wasn't allowed to wear a backpack at the school. Why? Because they were afraid what he was going to bring into the school out of security concerns. And then he was ultimately expelled from the school because of his violent behavior. I can't think of any case where you have that many warnings. And in spite of all of that, the kid wasn't in jail. The kid wasn't in a mental health facility. The kid wasn't being observed by law enforcement. Instead, he was able to what? Go out, you know, and buy an AR-15, put it in a large bag, go into a school, and shoot the place up. Now, we first got news of this just, what, two days ago, that the school resource officer, Scott Peterson, he's the guy that was armed with a gun. He also had a bulletproof vest. Well, it now turns out that he took a position outside the school behind a concrete column when the rampage was actually taking place. You know, students actually went out there and they they literally were saying, you know, uh, the guy just stood in one spot. You know, how do you stay in one spot? Now, he's claiming, quote, he's not a coward, that he didn't know protocol training, et cetera, that he actually thought the shots were from with, from outside. I don't know how you make that mistake. I'm just, as my own, I don't know how he made the mistake. I'm not going to rush to total judgment here, but it doesn't sound good to me. Anyway, this guy's now resigned. He's claiming that he followed protocol and that he did nothing wrong. Then we have multiple reports that three other Broward County deputies, when they first arrived on the scene, they took up stationary positions outside the school. And that now explains why late last week, the Coral Springs Police Department actually put out a memo talking about how proud the sheriff in Coral Springs was because his officers arrived on the scene and rushed into the school. And he basically was saying that, uh, hello, people are taking credit, but they didn't do the right thing here. And now it's all becoming clear what the Carl Springs Sheriff was trying to tell us all, that there were major mistakes made here. Now, then you look at the comments of, of the Broward County Sheriff and what he's saying, I mean, you know, he allegedly knew about the deputy he, who froze before he does the, the town hall that he was excoriating Dana Lash. When did you find out that Deputy Peterson had not gone into the building? How soon after the shooting did you know that? Uh, not for days. Uh, we, uh, How many our days? investigators looked. I'm not sure. Because you spent much of the Wednesday night town hall on CNN with the entire Stoneman Douglas community, students and teachers and parents, attacking the NRA, saying that police need more powers, more money to prevent future tragedies. You didn't disclose any of this to the crowd then, the Stoneman Douglas high school community. Did you know it then? Did you know it Wednesday night? 
It was spoken about during that uh, earlier during that day. I'm not on a timeline for TV or any news show. We need to get it right. We need to get it accurate. We're talking about people's lives. We're talking about a community. Uh, we need to corroborate. We need to verify. And once we did the next day, and I, w- I looked at the tape, and I was 100% certain that it happened the way uh, I was told about, the investigators initially told me told about. I, I, how, how could you not say that? Now, we actually made a statement at a, at a presser I, I only saw it for the first time last night where he actually they had body cams on these guys. And they said, well, we may not release the body cams. Listen to this. We're not going to disclose the video at this time. And we may never disclose the video depending on the prosecution and the criminal case. But what I saw was a deputy arrive at the west side of Building 12, take up a position and he never went in. Never went in. Then it gets even worse than that. It, he says, it's not my fault when my deputies fail. I'm like, yeah, you're the leader. You're the head. You know, if, if something fails on my radio show, it's my fault. Listen. On November 30th, fewer than three months ago, your office received a call from a tipster explicitly saying that the that Cruz could be a, quote, school shooter in the ma- making. According to notes released on that call, no report was even initiated. At this point, sir, do you understand how the public, seeing red flag after red flag after red flag, warning after warning after warning, they hear that your office didn't even initiate a report when they got a call saying that this guy could be a school shooter in the making? How could there not even be a report on this one? Well, if the, if that's accurate, Jake, there, were, there there needed to be a report, and that's what we're looking into, that a report needed to be uh, completed. It needed to be forwarded to our either Homeland Security or, or Violent Crimes Unit, and, and they would have followed up that's on it. That's from your notes. That's from notes released the- by your office. I'm not, I'm not making this up. This is from... Broward. No, and that's and that's what that the the officer who handled that is on restrictive duty, and we are that's an active internal investigation, and we are looking into it. I can't tell you, I, I can't predict how an investigation is going, but we have I've exercised my due diligence. I've led this county proudly as I always have. We we have restricted that deputy as we look into it. You know, uh, you know, the, the deputies make mistakes, police officers make mistakes, we all make mistakes, but it's not the responsibility of the general or the president if you have a deserter. You look into this, we're looking into this aggressively, and uh, we'll, we'll take care of it, and justice will be served. Then he goes on to talk about his amazing leadership. It's, it's, it takes my breath away. All right, we'll get back to this in a minute. 800 941 Sean is our number. Are you really not taking any responsibility for the multiple red flags that were brought to the attention of the Broward Sheriff's Office about this shooter before the incident, whether it was people near him, close to him, calling the police on him? Jake, I could only take responsibility for what I knew about. I exercise my my due diligence. I've given amazing leadership to this agency. Amazing leadership? Uh, I've worked... Yes, Jake. Uh, this is, there's, there's a lot of things we've done throughout. This, uh, this is uh, you, you don't uh, measure uh, a person's leadership by a deputy not going into a. These deputies received the training they needed. Maybe they you measure somebody's leadership equip- by whether or not they protect the community. In this case, you've listed 23 incidents before the shooting involving the shooter, and 
Still, nothing was done to keep guns out of his hands, to make sure that there were the school was protected, to make sure you were keeping an eye on him. Your deputy at the school got failed. Sick. I don't understand how you can sit there and claim amazing Jake. leadership. Jake, on 16 of those cases, our deputies did everything right. Our deputies have done amazing things. Uh, we've taken this uh, in the five years I've been sheriff. We've taken the Broward Sheriff's Office to a new level. I work with some of the bravest people I've ever met. Uh, one person at, at this point, one person didn't do what he should have done. He, uh, it, it's horrific. The victims here, uh, the, the families, I pray for them every night. It, 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 it makes me sick to my stomach that we had a deputy didn't go in because i know if i was there if i was on that wall i would have been the first then all right that is scott israel again i would have been the first i how can you say that he didn't look at the video a week after the shooting or that he goes before a, a, a town hall on fake news cnn ripping dana lash when he knew that the deputy that was on the scene there and three others that they never went into the school I want to just take a minute and backtrack here because all my life I have been around law enforcement. If you don't know, my mother worked in a prison. She was a prison guard. My father worked in family court probation. I had, you know, the the coolest thing in my life was going over to my Uncle Billy, Bill Kerwin's house, and getting as a Christmas present a, a real NYPD cap and badge and Billy Club. I probably shouldn't. Probably that was a bad idea on his part. I still have it to this day somewhere. And that was the coolest thing in my life. And then his sister became a cop. And then I had uh, my grandfather's brother's uh, kids. They were in the FBI. You know, a lot of law enforcement in my family. I've known. What is the music playing back there? I can hear music in my ears. Yeah. Oh, I almost have to break here. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. And I'm just saying. I'm so into what I'm saying that I forgot. We'll, I'll explain on the other side. work be sure to check in first for everything you missed during the day this is the sean hannity show all right 25 now till the top of the hour 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program this is just out by the washington times and rowan scar uh, scarborough and he points out 20 months after christopher Steele, 20 months now first brief the fbi on donald trump conspiracies and the dossier you know fever now has, you know, since it struck Washington, has at least eight politicos and groups now out there trying to prove the dossier's true. They're trying to prove the, the hooker story is accurate. You've got, let's see, and he, he labels who the dossier loyalists are. BuzzFeed, they now, remember, they're the ones that posted the entire dossier on January 10, 2017, as the president was preparing to take office and still uh, told of a supposed uh, extensive conspiracy between Trump, his campaign, and Russian intelligence to interfere in the 2016 election. Remember, BuzzFeed was sued for libel by three people accused by Mr. Steele. 
They have now hired a retired FBI cyber expert to authenticate some or all of the dossier's 10 uh, collusion charges. Then you've got Fusion GPS. Of course, the research firm that paid Steele in the beginning with money from the DNC and from the Clinton campaign. That was founded by former Wall Street journalists, and, and Fusion is also being sued for libel. They continue to investigate the dossier charges. Glenn Simpson, one of the co-founders, supports Steele's assertion. Remember, he never verified it, according to his testimony, that Mr. Trump's lawyer conspired with Vladimir Putin, aides in Prague. The only problem with Mr. Simpson's story is Michael Cohn, the lawyer he's talking about, could have gotten, uh, I guess, could have gotten there by a yacht or a plane because, you know, he says the entire story is a fabrication. And remember, he is now suing Fusion and BuzzFeed, and he presented a passport that showed he'd never been there. Isn't that interesting? Then you got Christopher Steele. He's being sued for libel, in his case, by a Russian entrepreneur whom the dossier accused of personally taking part in hacking the Democratic Party computers and Steele's legal team. They're investigating that. Then you've got the soon-to-be MSNBC contributor Adam Schiff. You know, there's no bigger dossier fan or liar than Congressman Schiff and some of his ardent colleagues in the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. And Schiff has continued to try to prove the dossier items such as Trump entertained the prostitutes and they were urinating on his bed. And the president says it's entire fiction. I mean, all of this. But, you know, an interesting side note to this is, you know, even as Robert Mueller and Adam Schiff hit one dry hole after another, Maxine Waters, well, she keeps hoping. And she told the Democratic Party in California at the state convention over the weekend that she's on the verge of realizing her dream of impeaching President Trump. She was speaking at their annual convention in San Diego. And uh, on Saturday, and Waters said she believes the special special counsel, Robert Mueller, is getting closer to discovering which Americas were and Americans were and are involved in collusion with the Russians. I say it. It's time to get ready for impeachment. She got a raucous applause out in California. I can't wait. I'm counting on special counsel Mueller to connect the dots. What dots? The dots are so far apart. There are no dots. Democrats, and look, whatever, you know, I don't care what Republicans say. Impeach 45, impeach 45. Reince Priebus said that this is not going to work in the end. Still have Dianne Feinstein. Now, she's being uh, flanked by the left out in California. She had a tough weekend this weekend as they didn't support her. Anyway, she's the, you know, Senate Judiciary Committee senior Democrat. She keeps summoning Trump associates for staff interviews. I guess Hope Hicks was drawn into all of this today and in terms of the house intel community uh committee mark warner keeps saying it and you got the special counsel Mueller. then you got every hillary clinton operative imaginable sid vicious blumenthal and cody Shear. they've been doing their quote own research they were hooked up with mr Steele during the election via middleman this guy jonathan weiner then an obama state department official and devin nunes told the CPAC crowd that I have seen no evidence of collusion. He told me the same last night during his committee's long year long investigation into Trump Russia. He says the proven collusion is the opposite operational and financial links between the Democratic Party and Mr. Steele's Kremlin sources. Yeah, that would be collusion. What's so funny in there? You guys, you guys have you know, you have callers now coming in uh, saying that Ethan was right. It's not like he said one armed deputy. (laughs) 
the one-armed deputy. Maybe I didn't. Maybe my tone and cadence wasn't yeah, perfect. Yeah, I mean that guy's a hero. I think you should be saying the one deputy who was armed. Who's calling about this? What, what do you mean? Calls? America. America is already. calling. America. 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 I'm sure America. more people will call in right now. That, well, that's kind we're of doing a, a poll, America. No, we're not doing Did a poll. Did Sean Hannity say? And we'll do the poll when we put the pictures of your cat. You know what? I'm going to put that, that cat nearly, up right now. Put the cat. You know you're not. You're not going to I'm going to do it right up. now. I want a picture before and after. I don't when have the cat, any after. When the cat left your house, it weighed 400 pounds. Oh! It did. That is the heaviest cat, the fattest cat I've ever seen in my life. You fed the cat to death. You nearly killed it. Thank God somebody adopted I, I it. I think that's an thank exaggeration. God, thank God somebody adopted it because it was taken to a farm. No one's going to take you seriously. And, You're talking about one-armed deputies and 400-pound cats. I'm listen, sorry. The You're reason, off the deep end. The reason the cat can't gain weight because there's no chance in hell that cat is ever going to catch a mouse. Or, Who needs a mouse when you have lasagna? You're feeding your cat. You feed your cat lasagna. That cat loved lasagna. The cat loved lasagna. Well, it had a lot of cheese. A lot of cheese. Okay. You're feeding your cat lasagna. I wasn't feeding much, it to her. How much did the cat weigh? It was the size of four cats. It was not the size of four cats. Now, most cats are literally thin and, and fit, and your cat was the... Was None of, I wouldn't say any of my cats are trim. Morbidly obese cat that literally was put on life support. She got some speed. Oh, you gave the cat speed? No. See, that's a problem. You're just giving misinformation today. This is misinformation. I don't know what's going on. You need a long nap. Oh, I do not need a long nap. I, I need a vacation. Uh, we have a letter to uh, to Dan McGann and, and Christopher Ray, And we write to seek clarity on the process by which individuals are able to apply for and receive security clearances. So that's going out there now the Senate Judiciary Committee, and thank you for your attention to this matter. Let me get back to this, Sheriff, for just a second here. So with all of the warning signs and the FBI being warned specifically about, oh, I want to be a professional school shooter, uh, and I want to be, you know, told about that, then this guy's going to shoot up a school. Then 39 separate times they end up at the house of this guy, Nicholas Cruz, before this happens over a seven-year period. And then the sheriff going out in these interviews and press conferences, he knew about the deputy that literally stayed outside. He was armed and had a bulletproof vest the entire time. Then it turns out three other of his deputies, they stayed outside. And then it was only because of a other local sheriff from a different jurisdiction that came in. Those those guys actually went in the school. And now we understand why there was that press release by the other sheriff that came out. Then you have Scott Israel, the Broward County Sheriff. Well, I haven't looked at the video. This is a week after the shooting. Then he's saying he's not going to release the body cams. Well, what is the purpose of a body cam if not that the public has a right to see what happens in these incidences? And it's designed to protect the police officer, and it's designed to protect the community, and it's designed to prevent people from rushing to judgment in some of these cases. And I I give the people a little more credit than obviously the sheriff does. And then he says, in spite of four of his deputies not going in the school, and the Coral Gables deputies did go in the school immediately, then he says, it's not my fault when my deputies fail. And then he brags that I've given amazing leadership, and I'd have been the first person in. And then he says that the Promise Program was responsible for the Broward County school shooting. 
He knew about the deputy that didn't go in the building, that was working at the building. And then he goes on a CNN. He didn't mention that in the town hall on CNN fake news. And then he lashes out at Dana Lash. No pun intended. On the show and blaming the NRA and blaming. It's unbelievable. And then he said, I don't know anything about a stand down order. That was something else that he said on an interview that he gave. One of the things that we've heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, I can hope you can shed some light on it, is that there might have been a stand-down order. Somebody on the radio telling Broward deputies not to enter the school until a SWAT team arrived. What can you tell us about that? I can't tell you anything about that. I I haven't heard that. As I said, we feverishly are dissecting. It's a voluminous investigation. There was, uh, while the killer was on campus with this horrific killing, uh, there was one deputy, one armed person within the proximity of that school, and that was Peterson. Everything else is fluid, and uh, as I said, we will get to the truth. But right now, People could have conjecture, people could act on rumors, and people have, you know, everybody has the right to their own opinion, but nobody has the right to their own set of facts. Oh, okay. All right, let's get to our busy phones. We got Kelly in Parkland, Florida. Kelly, what is the feeling of the people down in Parkland? I mean, I guess it's easy for me to sit here and observe what the sheriff is saying from Broward County and and see that all the signs were missed on this kid and and I'm frustrated, but Sarah Carter now has a story out, and she'll break it in the next hour. She's putting it up on our website, even as we speak, where she's literally saying there are more than 66 investigations by the Broward County State Attorney's Office into the sheriff's deputies and employees uh, that's going on and other instances where they're incentivized financially not to tell the the truth about what's going on in the schools because they get more money. It's absolutely true. Um, the Broward Sheriff's Office and the Broward County School Board have an agreement where they don't arrest kids, even that commit violent crimes in schools, because if crime rates are lowered, there's federal money attached to less crime. And look at all these programs and how much good they're doing, so give us more money. Yeah, well, I mean, how? Uh, look, I know that we heard, well, this is one of the safest communities and safest school districts in all of Florida, but if they're being fi- financially incentivized not to report what's going on in the schools, that's not helping the kids by keeping all this stuff a secret. No, it really isn't. Now, are the people in Parkland now aware of all of this, that this was going on? They are now. What, what? I don't know how much they were aware of this, you know, before two weeks ago, but absolutely now. Uh, is there... I just add one thing, Sean? Yes, ma'am. But besides this event at Stoneman Douglas, and I am a teacher there, what about BSO and Sheriff Israel screwing up the response to the Fort Lauderdale airport shooting a year and two months ago? They screwed that up, then they screw this up, and still he has no responsibility. How does that happen? I don't know, but we're going to this report by Sarah Carter that I literally just got my hands on, you know, all these internal investigations that have gone on, 66 separate investigations. Now we've discovered going on by the Broward County State Attorney's Office into sheriff's deputies and employees, you know, everything ranging from drug trafficking to kidnapping going back to 2012. All of this would have happened under Scott Israel's watch whose office is now under investigation. Uh, apparently, Israel's long been criticized for his leadership, and 
you know, he's fighting allegations that his office failed to respond in this particular case. And we'll have uh, there's apparently was a shooting down there that is in dispute as well. Um, and we'll have that attorney on here. I just I'd never. Did you ever see any of the squad cars that have his picture plastered all over it? No, I haven't seen any cars with his picture. No, no. it's true. They actually have squad cars, sheriff's cars that have his picture on it. Mm-hmm. I'm stunned. I mean, what I've never seen that in my life. No, I and I have great look. I don't want to j- rush to judgment here. I mean, but I'm very disturbed because every cop that I know, and I was saying this before the break, everybody that I know in law enforcement, they would have raced into that school. Everybody, ninety nine point nine 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 percent. This is what they're trained for. And and, and I I'm I'm stunned that these guys didn't go in. And now we understand what the Coral Gables sheriff was saying when he put out a, a memo saying, we did our job and I'm proud of our department. And by the way, while others are out there taking credit, let me tell you, we did the job. Now now I know where it's coming from. I had no idea prior to that. Anyway, 800-941-SEAN is our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. That's really cruel. You're all being pretty mean to me in there today. Uh, Fine. I just wanted to let you know you have a break coming up at uh, 56, you know, We have Sarah Carter and David Schoen are going to be joining us. Uh, and I can't believe. We also have news that the uh, one of the Parkland shooting survivors has now called on Sheriff Israel to resign. Uh, President Trump, yeah, I know, he's running for re-election. It's 900-plus days away, and I'm fine with it. And, you know... But with that said, you know, we've got other things to focus on. There was a great report by the Heritage Foundation that at this point in his presidency, Ronald Reagan had achieved 45 percent of his conservative agenda. At this point in Trump's presidency, he's now achieved a whopping 64 percent. And a lot of this is regulation, the tax bill, everything that he's he's been doing in spite of the most difficult political circumstances I think that I've ever seen any president have to live under, especially just coming into office. And I don't think it's going to end here anytime soon. All right, 800-941-SEAN. When we come back, Sarah Carter, wait do you hear this blockbuster report about Broward County and the sheriff's deputies and the sheriff himself. All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show. Write down our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. It's 800-941-SEAN. You know, every sign that was missed, and I'll get into this in great detail in just a second here, every single sign that has been missed as it relates to what happened in in Broward County is bad enough. And, you know, 39 separate appearances at this kid's house, Nicholas Cruz, and then two specific warnings about school shootings to the FBI that weren't one was followed up on, but nothing done. The other was just ignored, wasn't sent to the field office in Miami. And I'm watching this Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel. Oh, I, I hadn't looked at the dashboard uh, video. That that wasn't my job. Like, what are you talking about? I may not even release the dashboard video. I've given amazing leadership. I've been the first person in. And we have a report that four officers, including the one that was on duty, actually at the school, didn't even go in at all. And Scott Israel, I will not resign over the school shooting. Anyway, just listen to this tape. Are you really not taking any responsibility for the multiple red flags that were brought to the attention of the Broward Sheriff's Office about this shooter before the incident, whether it was people near him, close to him, calling the police? Jay, Jay, on him? I, could, 
Jake, I could only take responsibility for what I knew about. I exercise my, my due diligence. I've given amazing leadership to this agency. Amazing leadership? Uh, I've worked... Yes, Jake. Uh, this is, there's a lot of things we've done throughout. This uh, this is uh, you, you don't measure uh, a person's leadership by a deputy not going into a. These deputies received the training they needed. Maybe you measure somebody's leadership equipment. by whether or not they protect the community. In this case, you've listed 23 incidents before the shooting involving the shooter, and. Still, nothing was done to keep guns out of his hands, to make sure that there were the school was protected, to make sure you were keeping an eye on him. Your deputy at the Jake, school failed. Six, I don't understand how you can sit there and claim amazing leadership. Jake, on 16 of those cases, our deputies did everything right. Our deputies have done amazing things. Uh, we've taken this uh, in the five years I've been sheriff. We've taken the Broward Sheriff's Office to a new level. I work with some of the bravest people I've ever met. Uh, one person at, at this point, one person didn't do what he should have done. Uh, it, it's horrific. The victims here, uh, the, the families, I pray for them every night. It, 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 it makes me sick to my stomach that we had a deputy didn't go in. Because I know if I was there, if I was on that wall, I would have been the first then. Florida State Representative Bill Hager from Boca sent a letter to the governor of Florida, Rick Scott, yesterday, asking him to remove you for negligence of duty and incompetence. Here's what he wrote, quote, an investigation of by Sheriff Israel into the unfathomable inaction of these deputies will do nothing to bring back the 17 victims. The sheriff was fully aware of the threat this individual presented to his community and, can, and chose to ignore it. What's your response and will you resign? It was a shame. No, of course, I won't resign. It was a shameful letter. It was politically motivated. I never met that man. He doesn't know anything about me. And the letter was full of mis uh, misinformation. I wrote a letter back to the governor. Uh, I talked about all the mistakes that Hager made in his letter. It, it, it was a shameful, politically motivated letter that had no facts. Uh, and uh, of course, I won't resign. All right, joining us now, uh, pretty arrogant, pretty unbelievable, Doug Schoen, civil rights criminal defense attorney, Sarah Carter, Fox News investigative uh, reporter, sarahacarter.com, uh, David Schoen, civil rights uh, and criminal defense attorney, both with us here. You know, there's a well-kept secret about the department in Broward County uh, that they are now opening up here, that they're are actually getting money for not prosecuting crimes that are actually being committed by the students which might explain why, in fact, action wasn't taken. Now, remember, this kid, Nicholas Cruz, wasn't allowed into school with a backpack because he was that dangerous. Remember, they visited his home 39 times. Remember, you know, two people contacted the FBI, one because of a Facebook posting that said, you know, I want to be a professional school shooter. And the other, literally a tip line called where the woman says he's going to shoot up a school. Very specific. And we've been told over and over again that, you know, this part of Florida, this particular school district was one of the safest in the country. But apparently it's a well-kept secret that money is involved if they don't have high crime rates and and they're not prosecuting crimes committed by students in exchange for unreported crimes. Schools and school districts are awarded government money. Now, that money has kept area schools unsafe because they ought to be reporting all of this. And, you know, it just makes no sense to me. Now, Governor Rick Scott on Sunday asked the Florida Department of Law Enforcement to investigate the response to the Parkland school shooting. 
as questions have now mounted over the Broward County Sheriff's handling of all of this. And uh, anyway, that announcement came just hours after Scott Israel appeared on CNN and talked about his amazing leadership. All right, Sarah Carter, I'm reading your article today and I'm blown away. Explain this scandal. Well, I think this is incredible. Um, The fact that we had no idea that, and at least I didn't. I mean, we're focused a lot on what happened with Nicholas Cruz, but let's focus a little bit on what happened with the deputies there. And, you know, there was a lot of discussion, and they've asked for Israel's resignation based on the fact that these four deputies didn't enter the school, possibly now that that the the sheriff's office actually stopped first responders from going in and actually offering aid to the students that were shot. Uh, So what's happening here? Now we find out that there's more than 66 investigations by the Broward County State Attorney's Office into the Broward County Sheriff's deputies and employees. I mean, these range from kidnapping, uh, extortion, drug sales. I mean, I was I was blown away looking at this Brady list and 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 speaking to Shone about this, um, who is actually representing uh, a family member of a person that was killed by Broward County uh, Sheriff's deputies, uh, a man who was uh, an IT specialist, uh, Jeremy McBean, uh, who was walking home with an air rifle, and uh, this is an ongoing case, and I'm sure Doug Shone will be able to explain in detail to you. It's an ongoing. By the way, I, I made the same mistake. It's David Schoen, but, you know, we all know Doug so well. It's uh, it's oh, an easy God. mistake to make. I keep, <laughs> you know, David. <laughs> but what you're discovering here, 66 investigations by the Broward County State Attorney's Office into sheriff's deputies and employees ranging from drug trafficking to kidnapping since 2012. And this all happened under Sheriff Scott Israel's watch. That, that's correct, and I think this goes to his leadership quality. I mean, we've we've seen it demonstrated on on television. There's no need to explain. Uh, the buck never stops with uh, Sheriff Israel, and it appears that he throws off responsibility, you know, to to others. He doesn't take any responsibility upon himself, and I think this is the anger that we're seeing from the public uh, about how Sheriff Israel is handling this horrible tragedy. I mean, the loss of 17 lives, you know, we don't, I don't want to put the blame. I'm not here to blame people for not entering the school or what their decisions were at that moment. But it's up to the sheriff to have highly trained, qualified people to know what to do in these type of situations. I mean, 17 people lost their lives. Uh, uh, The children, I can't even imagine the loss for the families. Uh, Just to know that there were deputies out there with weapons that could have gone into the school and, and could have attempted to take down this shooter. Uh, mm-hmm. before he took more lives. It's it's gut-wrenching. Well, let me bring and- David into this for a second here, because as Sarah's article points out, while fighting these allegations, the, the sheriff I'm talking about here, that his office failed to respond to the crew shooting, I've never heard of four, four officers standing outside. It explains why the Coral Gables police said, uh, our guys went in and they went in immediately, because they felt like they were being slighted, and, and now we understand why. But um, anyway, the office failed to respond to the crew shooting, but he's also fighting a civil court case brought by the family of Jermaine McBean. Now, he's an African-American information technology engineer who was killed in 2013 by his deputies after they responded to a call that McBean was walking in his neighborhood in what appeared to be with a weapon. It was an unloaded air rifle. 
and McBean was listening to music and just purchased the air rifle. Take us, take us from there. What happened, uh, David Schoen? You're the attorney. Right. Well, Mr. Hannity, I mean, this case perfectly exemplifies the lack of leadership. Uh, you know, um, Moliere once said, it's not only what we do, uh, but what we do not do for which we're accountable. And in this case, there's no accountability. Um, what we know for sure in terms of leadership, and this, this really relates to uh, the sheriff's role vis-a-vis these officers, deputies on the scene in the cruise incident, too. It's a matter of a culture. Uh, so, for example, in the Jermaine McBean case, what we now know has been reported in the media with pictures and so on. McBean was walking home with this unloaded air, uh, air gun, did absolutely nothing illegal, and his back was turned uh, to these three deputies, Broward County deputies, who came up behind him, all with their guns drawn. They were within six feet of him with his uh, air rifle over his shoulders, his arms wrapped around him, absolutely no danger to anyone, um, let alone the fact that it was unloaded, but they couldn't have been expected to know that. They could have tackled him or anything else. They didn't. And so one of the deputies was a guy who had been on the street for about a year, and he just panicked. He's testified that he's never been so scared in his life, and he shot Mr. McBean and killed him, 38-year-old man. Do you believe um, it was an accident that he really, do you believe the guy? Absolutely not. The forensics proved that it wasn't. But more than that, and this is what gets to the culture of the BSO, unfortunately, and I don't mean to impugn the wonderful deputies who do work there. It's not their fault what happens with leadership. But what we know for sure is each of the three deputies told a completely different and irreconcilable story. I took videotaped testimony from the two deputies who were there but didn't shoot, and they each had a completely different story on when the shot occurred, which uh, direction it was pointing in, etc., but so you're ba- so you're saying this is one case, and Sarah, you're saying this is part of a broader pattern uh, within the department, whereby we don't even, you know, we literally have no idea what's happening because of the financial incentives involved. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is just part of a of a very disturbing pattern with under under Sheriff Israel's leadership. You know, it was really interesting because I started to look at a lot of the stories um, regarding McBean and the case, and how Sheriff Israel would just come back. For example, at one point he awarded these two officers, and and Shon and I were both discussing this. Uh, he awarded these two officers a very prestigious award uh, for for defending people's lives, and it was about three months after the shooting. And then a few years later, he explains in 2015, well, you know, uh, I really don't know who who issued that award. It shouldn't have been issued, uh, but, you know, the paperwork, and this was incredible. Um, we can't find the paperwork because it accidentally got destroyed. Uh, so All right, stay right there. David, we'll go to you, I promise, when we get back. 800-941-SHAWN, toll-free telephone number. Uh, Now it gets even deeper as it relates to the sheriff of Broward County, Scott Israel. Uh, We'll have full coverage of all of this tonight and the latest on Deep State Gate and Obamagate, 9 Eastern on Hannity. And as we continue uh, with Sarah Carter, her breaking news, uh, pretty shocking about what's going on in Broward County and more than 66 investigations by the county state attorney's office into the Broward County Sheriff and their deputies. A lot of charges reigned here. And also David Schoen is with us. He's an attorney representing the family of an individual that was shot, and he believes uh, uh, unjustly, and he's now brought suit in that particular case. David, I want to go back to you and ask you particularly what happened in that case and where you stand in the case now. Well, um, you know, as we discussed a bit earlier, uh, you know, Mr. McBean was shot in cold blood by a 
deputy who'd been on the street about a year. You know, we never, and I know I speak for you also, we never rush to judgment when it comes to police officers or firefighters. They're our heroes. But when we have all of the facts, as we do in this case, and we have eyewitnesses, and we have absolutely documented perjury, to the extent of this, Mr. Hannity, there had been, before Mr. McBean was killed, 167 people killed by law enforcement in Broward County during the previous 30 years when this prosecutor was in office. None of them was ever disciplined or charged. Mr. McBean was indicted by a grand jury. I'm sorry, Mr. Deputy Peraza was indicted by a grand jury in Broward County for the homicide of Jermaine McBean. That was two years after the event, after Sheriff Israel had given him an award. We couldn't get to talk about leadership. No one could get any investigation going until two things happened. I met with the Department of Justice, their criminal section of the Civil Rights Division, and they opened a full investigation into it after studying the case. And I filed a federal civil rights action on behalf of the family demanding discovery. And that's when all of this began to open up. And that's when Sheriff Israel said, oh, well, um, he gave the award because he didn't know on that day that he was going to be giving the award. Um, he didn't know anything about it. So then we found a press release when, mm -hmm. in which he announced before the award. He was giving it for supreme bravery. I took deposition, sworn testimony at the time the award was given by the lieutenant who recommended it. He knew already that McBean was carrying an well, unloaded air rifle to his home, posed a threat to nobody, yet the award said it was for great bravery and the saving of civilian lives. And when I asked him, again, this is the culture of the BSO, when I asked him, by the time you wrote that, you knew that just wasn't true. It was an unloaded air rifle. And he said, well, that's right. But uh, so I said, then he didn't pose any threat at all. I said, did Sheriff Israel ever discipline you for writing that kind of award? Did he ever tell you that he shouldn't have given the award? And he said, absolutely not. I'm going to have more on this investigation tonight. Hannity on the Fox News Channel. Now things beginning to uh, come to light about the Broward County Sheriff. We'll have full coverage. Sarah and David Schoen will join us tonight. SarahACarter.com is our website. If you want to read the article, we link it to Hannity.com. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Your calls are coming up next. Also, Peter Schweitzer previews a brand-new book. And what did Robert Mueller know about Uranium One, and why didn't he act? That's next. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. By the way, our good friend uh, Peter Schweitzer has a new book coming out soon. But more importantly, he's asking a very key question. What did Robert Mueller know about the informant, William Campbell, and the time that he spent inside of the Putin network prior to the CFIUS's approval uh, nine departments allowing Putin to get a foothold in the uranium market in America. Remember, this this guy, William Campbell, he was there for six years and he was telling the FBI about bribery and extortion and kickbacks and money laundering. And the FBI absolutely did nothing. And Putin, the hostile actor, the hostile regime, the hostile individual towards America, got 20 percent of our uranium, which is it never made sense. Now we're beginning to get answers. Now we're also following another story that we told you about uh, at the top of the program today, and that is uh, the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions now, is launching an investigation into FISA abuses. 
Uh, our own Ed Henry from the Fox News Channel is actually in New York today. Remember, he's the author of a best-selling book. It's called 42's Faith, the rest of the Jackie Robinson story. Uh, I'm a big ba- baseball fan like you are. Absolutely. All right, let, let's start first with this breaking news. Yeah, so they have broke. an opioid press conference today. Mm-hmm. In the middle of it, our colleague Catherine Herridge asks a question. Take it from there. Yeah, doing a great job as always. And Catherine all over the story and said, look, now that the GOP memo is out, the Democratic memo is out, where does the Justice Department stand on this? Obviously, Jeff Sessions has been under pressure from the president and others. What are you doing here? Because you can have these memos flying around Democratic side, Republican side. But at the base, the Democratic memo from Adam Schiff did not deny that it certainly appears like there was abuse by Obama administration officials because even the Schiff memo acknowledged that the FISA judge was not told that the dossier, which was used for this surveillance of Carter Page, Uh, was paid for by the DNC and the Clinton campaign. So here's what Jeff Sessions said. I'm going to quote him directly. Quote, we believe the Department of Justice must adhere to the high standards in the FISA court. Yes, it will be investigated. And I think that's just the appropriate thing. The inspector general will take that as one of the matters he'll, he'll deal with. Now, in previous years, I could tell you, Democratic and Republican administrations, an inspector general at justice or state or defense, oftentimes it's a backwater. It takes some years to investigate. In this case, there may be an exception. The Justice Department uh, inspector general Horowitz, as you know, has been leading the way on a lot of these right. investigations. He's he, the one that gave us the struck page the struck emails, text messages, text messages all yeah. of that. Uh, and uh, our own Jason Chaffetz, a Fox News contributor who used to be, as you know, the House Oversight Chairman as a Republican in the House and really got the ball rolling on a, li- a lot of this says that within the next 30 days or so, the inspector general is coming out with a major report that might blow a lot of this uh, out in the open. So I think the fact that Sessions is saying that this will be investigated, he's been under a lot of fire, a lot of criticism for sitting around and not jumping on a lot of this stuff. This is a big development. Well, FISA abuse, we now know, did happen. And, And this is what happened. And we got into this. And even the Schiff memo, I could not understand all the lead up. Adam Schiff going out there on every show he can uh, and you made good points in your report last night in as much as Adam Schiff, when the Nunes memo came out, was out there making all sorts of proclamations. You can Google it. February 2nd, Adam Schiff said the whole truth is not coming out because the Democratic memo has been blocked. Once that comes out, we're going to prove this abuse did not happen, number one. And number two, he also claimed at the time, February 2nd, look it up. He tweeted it out. It was a written statement from Adam Schiff, the top Democrat, of course, on House Intel. He declared directly, and we quoted him last night on Fox, this is not spin, this is a direct quote from Adam Schiff. He said basically that... I can read it to you. The majority suggests that the FBI failed to alert the court to Mr. Steele's potential political motivations and the political motivations of those who's hired him. That, But this is inaccurate. That was not inaccurate. It was accurate, and he said it was inaccurate. And what we mean by when they say even who hired Steele, who hired him, Using GPS was the middleman, but who really hired him, we know, because the bank records that Devin Nunes got forced and shook loose the DNC and the Clinton campaign. And this is the bottom line. There's spin on both sides. The Republican memo says this. Democratic memo says this. But both memos say, basically, that the FISA judge was not told that the DNC and the Clinton campaign There were three things. This, the period. Three, let's just stick with the Schiff memo. And you're right. It does corroborate the Nunes memo and the Grassley-Graham memo. But revelation number one is that the Steele dossier was key to the FISA warrant application. Now, if you look at there was testimony, and this was in the Nunes memo, that Andrew McCabe, deputy FBI director, when he testified before the House Intel Committee, Mm -hmm. 
he had said very clearly. If we, we would not have gotten surveillance without using the dossier. Actually, he said we wouldn't have even tried. Mm-hmm. He said there would we wouldn't have even attempted or made an application. Right. So what we have here is the Steele dossier, as the Grassley-Graham memo said, and I'll quote it, bulk, the bulk of information came from the dossier. The dossier is bought and paid for by Hillary Clinton and the DNC. She's controlling the money through the DNC. So Schiff's claim on that blown out of the water, period. Yeah. So now here's the big question. How do you go before a judge, a FISA judge, to get a warrant on an opposition party candidate advisor? And by the way, that includes all the emails, all Mm -hmm. the text messages, all the phone records going back from the time he started. Right. So sets an awful precedent, first of all. Because right. Let's say Donald Trump and President Trump is now saying today, basically, he's hiring a campaign manager, Brad Pascal, and, and he's running for election. So let's say he's the Republican nominee, as we all expect in 2020, and Hillary Clinton decides to run again or Joe Biden decides to run. And Republicans go to the FISA court now because of this precedent and they hire a Republican version of Fusion GPS. Uh, and the RNC and the Trump campaign fund a Clinton or a Biden dossier. Can they now go to, go to the FISA court and get surveillance, spy on all, Hillary no, no, Clinton? All they have to do is add a footnote that says it may have a political origin. Yeah, it may have. I mean, okay. that's, a, but that's the, a cop-out. It's more than a cop-out. It's a fraud. This is a fraud upon the court. They purposely deceived the court in the application process because if they were telling the court judge the truth, they knew Hillary bought and paid for it. And it gets even worse because Glenn Simpson's testimony before the House Intel Committee and elsewhere, he said he never verified the information. Right. Now, the FBI and the DOJ, they know it comes from Clinton. They never verified the information. And their answer is, well, we'd worked with him in the past. Right. Now, the Schiff memo alludes to the idea. And I just want to add this caveat as a reporter, not a commentator, which is that you're a reporter. <laughs> Schiff, We're going to have to fix that. Yeah. I'm sorry you so, live in that. You, you want me on your side, but I'm in the yeah. middle. OK, so Schiff suggests that there was some independent corroboration and that it wasn't just based on the dossier. I'm not agreeing well, or hang disagreeing on a second. with him. But he's he's also citing mm-hmm. Michael Isikoff, Yahoo News, mm-hmm. and the fact that Michael Isikoff wrote this. fed by Fusion GPS in the same dossier. But they, don't tell, loop. but they don't tell the judge that the source for Michael Isikoff was Christopher Steele. Right. So Schiff it's the same information. claiming that the, 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 the Yahoo News article was just sort of stapled to the application and wasn't critical to it. Bottom line is we don't know because we don't have the application. The application we're told could be dozens and dozens of pages. We've just seen these short memos describing it. I'll tell you another thing that I think is interesting. Bob Goodlatte, the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Good man. he's asked to go to the FISA court and sit in on a session. He has the proper security clearance, we're told, to do something like that. And and on a separate case, he won't reveal the names if it's out, out they're looking at Al-Qaeda or whatever for surveillance. And he just wants to sit in on one session so we can understand what is the bar? What, what does a judge need to see? What kind of evidence in order to prove surveillance. And the FISA court has said no, Sean. That's remarkable, a remarkable lack of transparency. It tells us this court is operating in secrecy. What we what we do know of it is pretty shocking. Because the, there are very specific standards within the law as it relates to Pfizer. And I think it's very, very key here. They There is an obligation for them to be transparent. Mm-hmm. In other words, the federal government would have access to to everything. They are supposed to first rely on the information and and normal practices before they would in other words law enforcement would have yeah. to rely on normal procedures, practices, standards 
before they ever even begin the idea of making an application to spy on an American. And that bar is very high. And it should be high because spying on American citizens is a big, big deal, as you know, number one. And number two, why would you go through those procedures? You would do that so that you're adhering not just to the law, but to the Constitution, the freedoms and liberties we have in this country. And if law enforcement does it by the book, then maybe politics is not injected. That is the basic problem here, not just a suggestion, but evidence leading us to believe, which is why I think Jeff Sessions is now investigating it at the Justice Department, that politics was injected here. Let me go to Carter Page for just a minute, um, who's at the center of all this and, mm-hmm. and mentioned a lot in the ship memo, because he's a pretty interesting guy. And I, I don't know. You were I've the, met him once. Yeah. OK. He was in the uh, on our set last night. I wasn't invited on your show, so I didn't get to meet him. Well, because you okay. already committed to another show. <laughs> oh, that's you right. I was, be, I was you on wanna, Tucker last if night. If you want to be right. arrogant about <laughs> it and, you know, you didn't give Hannity <laughs> his, uh, uh, you know, first dibs, but that's fine. I will I mean, genuflect before the, 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 the oh, king. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that's going to happen. The king of all media. So he's he's a foreign policy advisor that is hired by the Trump campaign. Mm-hmm. He refers to himself as a junior unpaid advisor. Correct. He has a lot of background as it relates to Russia and as it relates to energy. Um, Page, by the way, was a part of a board that only a policy board council that only met once. He wasn't there. He never met Trump, never spoke to Trump in his entire life. By the way, when he made that trip and he spoke to this this new economic school in Moscow, that's the same school that Barack Obama had spoken to, interestingly. And it was reported on by media there, as I understand. It wasn't done in secret. Right. And Page has admitted to lawmakers that, yeah, I was in the attendance of the speech. There's never been anything that he said is proven. Don't you think at this point, if the special counsel had any evidence Correct. that Carter Page was involved in anything nefarious— that he would have been charged by now? You're raising a very important question that I've been asking others close to this investigation, which is if it was so urgent for the Justice Department and the FBI to go through four applications and eventually get those uh, for surveillance of Carter Page. By the way, the surveillance continued months after he had left the Trump campaign. As you say, why hasn't he been charged with a crime? Well, good. You got the, and then you got the initial they application. They had his phone calls, his emails, his texts. They found nothing, apparently. Yeah, apparently not, or else he would have been I mean, arrested. Otherwise, other people are facing, uh, you know, But you have the initial indictment. application just before the election in 2016. Then you have three subsequent applications. Yeah. Now we Into got, 2017. And again, never verified. The dossier, according to the Grassley-Graham memo, is the bulk of the FISA mm-hmm. application. But it, it gets even more nefarious nefarious after that because you've got every other attempt. Look at James Comey. James Comey tells Donald Trump in January of 2017, before he's ever sworn into office, goes to Trump Tower, says, yeah, there's a dossier. It's not verified. Correct. And it's salacious. That's that, what he says. Here's now, important. That contradicts what, what, they what, did what the October. FBI under Comey did in October of 2016. They go to the FISA judge, mm-hmm. and, and apparently, if you listen to Adam Schiff and others say, hey, we've got independent confirmation of this stuff. It is, quote unquote, verified enough yeah. that we're going to spy on an American citizen. It, How, so he either they either lied to the court or they lied to the president-elect in January 2017. All right. We have Peter Schweitzer at the top of the hour. Ed Henry is with us now. 800-941-SEAN. Toll-free telephone number. With the release of the Republican uh, staff memo from the House Intelligence Committee earlier this month and now the Democrats' version available over the weekend, a lot of Americans are asking if this is business as usual at the FISA court. Will your department investigate, and if the evidence is there, hold FBI and Justice Department officials in contempt? 
We believe the Department of Justice must adhere to the high standards in the FISA court. Um, and, yes, it will be investigated. Um, and I think that's just the appropriate thing. The inspector general will, will uh, take that as one of the matters uh, he'll deal with. Sorry. All right, that was the attorney general. Now we have an investigation into the FISA abuses. Catherine Herridge asking at an, an opi- opioid press conference from earlier today. Ed Henry is our uh, reporter on the ground for the Fox News Channel. Um, so I get to give opinion every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly have known you all these years. I don't really know your opinions. Mm-hmm. And you're a little sneaky about it, <laughs> because every time I try to trap you into giving your opinion, I, I well, some, out. Will, some will say that, Sean, and <laughs> some on the other side will say that. I could not do your job. But I do feel, and I want to get your thoughts on this, everything as it relates to Trump-Russia collusion. Have you seen any evidence as a reporter in the last year? Do you, have you seen any evidence of Trump-Russia collusion? I have not seen any. Okay. Next question. When... Sarah Carter and John Solomon broke on my show mm-hmm. that there were FISA warrants on the Trump campaign, Trump Tower. Mm-hmm. People laughed when the president tweeted out at the that time about March 2017 or so. Right, that that people it, mocked him that he was being the, uh, what was the eve, not eavesdropped. He used the term bugged or yeah, something like something that. Something that uh, yeah, Trump and, Tower was bugged. Right, and the media laughed at him. It all turned out to be true. Did you ever? Here's my case, and you tell me where I'm wrong. Hillary rigged the primary, according to Donna Brazil, against Bernie Sanders. Nobody cares. I care, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't even like Bernie. Then we had, have you ever heard of an exoneration with Peter Strzok and James Comey being written before an investigation? Never. That, that is still one of the most remarkable things, that Peter Strzok, who we now see in all, all these text messages, and people have forgotten it already. It was only a couple mm-hmm. months ago that we learned this. By the way, the Inspector General of Justice has more of these texts. Well, They're probably coming out. T- like 50,000. Okay, and not just mocking President Trump, but his supporters and all this crazy talk. So, um, so and these th- are the ones who were writing the statement before Hillary Clinton was interviewed. So it to never say we're made, letting her off the hook. It never made sense because they interviewed Hillary on Fourth of July weekend, but they're writing the exoneration back About in April, May kind of. Yeah, time at the end of April, early May, mm-hmm. before they ever talked to her or seventeen other people. All right, Ed Henry, thank you. Eight hundred nine four one Sean toll free telephone number. Coming up next, our final news roundup and information overload hour. All right, news roundup, information overload, final hour, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of the program, I am holding in my hands the next number one New York Times bestseller of Peter Schweitzer, and it's called Secret Empires, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends, and it is coming out. When is it coming out, Peter? March 20th. All right, March 20th, but I can't ask you a lot of questions about it today. It's embargoed, <laughs> um, but I do appreciate the early copy. I will guard it with my my life. Um, I want to. I'll ask you a few questions. You give us a little bit of some insight into where you're going in this new book, but Clinton Cash, the untold story of how and why foreign governments and businesses help make uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton rich, was a number one huge, massive bestseller. And, of course, he's also the president of the Government Accountability Institute. And if you remember, the FBI, we had an informant. We now know who the informant is in the Uranium One deal. Well, Peter was the first person to break open a fact that this had all happened, that a foreign entity, a hostile regime, a hostile actor, Putin and Russia, were able to get a foothold in the uranium industry in America. And then when you follow the money, you see that many people involved with the deal actually kicked back a ton of money to the Clinton Foundation. And it never made sense 
we had literally an informant that identified bribery, extortion, money laundering, kickbacks, and other crimes committed by Putin operatives in America, and they still allowed nine departments, including Hillary's State Department and the Justice Department under Eric Holder, and Obama's the president, they still allowed the approval of Putin to gain a foothold in our uranium market. He did get the 20%. And they said, well, well, the the uranium will never leave America. Well, that didn't happen either because it went to Canada, it went to Europe, and we believe it also went to areas in Asia. So now the FBI, we know from my reporting, Sarah Carter's reporting, that finally we have learned that the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, has not recused himself from the uranium one issue. It was about six weeks ago that... We had another indictment of an individual involved in this particular case. It means it's ongoing. But listen to what Hillary Clinton says here. She says, oh, no, 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 that's that's over with. That's done. That's finished. And then listen to Rod Rosenstein talk about his faith in Mueller. Now, the reason Mueller is important, because he was the FBI director who had an informant on the ground in Putin's network with his operatives. He was the FBI director. Why didn't he do anything to stop Cifius from approving this deal. Listen, I do know that this has been this whole thing has been investigated repeatedly and it's been debunked repeatedly in the Uranium One story. It troubles them that the Clinton Foundation failed to disclose it was about over two million dollars in donations from the chairman of Uranium One as the deal was being reviewed, considered. Do you agree that that just looks bad? Rita, that's not true. The gentleman in question had sold his interest in Uranium One some years before. It's just not true, Rita. Now, I know that, you know, the right does a great job of throwing up these crazy allegations, but just look at the facts. Go back and look at Shepard Smith's takedown. None of this is true. Now, that doesn't mean they won't investigate it because they're trying to divert attention from their connections with Russia. But I can assure you it's been investigated. It's been looked at by the press, by experts. Everybody has come to the same conclusion. There is no factual basis. I had nothing to do with the decision. Now, that is a fact. I had nothing to do with it. It was delegated to somebody else in the State Department, and nine people had to agree. And they all agreed from all the different agencies in our government. And then two Republican governors had to agree. You know, John Huntsman in Utah and Rick Perry in Texas. This is just a smokescreen. So, you know, there's no facts to it. Mr. Mueller immediately concluded that Mr. Strzok could no longer participate in the investigation and he was removed from the team the same day. Did Mr. Mueller take appropriate action in this case? Yes, he did. Thank you. In testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, you said that you would only fire Special Counsel Mueller for good cause and that you had not seen any yet. Several months have passed since then. Have you seen good cause to fire Special Counsel Mueller? No. Thank you. If you were ordered today to fire Mr. Mueller, what would you do? So I've explained previously, I would follow the regulation. If there were good cause, I would act. If there were no good cause, I would not. And you've seen no good cause so far? Correct. All right, so there you hear Hillary Clinton, and then you hear Rosenstein's faith in, in Mueller. Peter Schweitzer is with us now. What What is your reaction to all that? Well, here's the bottom line, Sean. When Uranium One uh, came up uh, for sale to Russia in 2010, uh, the federal government reviewed it through something called the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. The reason that we have this committee set up is if a critical company or industry 
is up for sale for a foreign entity, the federal government wants to know a couple of key things. Number one, are there national security implications for this company going into the hands of this foreign buyer? And number two, are there any criminal elements involved? In other words, if this asset is given to this company, is it going to fall into criminal hands? And what we now know, essentially, is that the FBI, which is part of the CFIUS process, never brought up the kickbacks and the crime and the corruption that was occurring within this Russian entity that was ultimately going to be in control of Uranium One. That's a shocking revelation because that's the whole purpose of CFIUS. Uh, are there going to be criminal elements that are in control of a critical industry, in this case, uranium? Uh, and the FBI fell down on the job and basically did not share the information with the other government agencies. Um, that in and of itself is a huge issue because that's their key job in the entire CFIUS process, and they failed at it entirely. And I think Robert Mueller needs to answer questions to that, as do other FBI officials, as does the Obama Department of Justice, uh, under which the FBI is is basically housed. Why this was never brought up and brought to the attention of other CFIUS members? Well, that's the whole point. We have a a literally a guy on the ground, an FBI informant, putting his life at risk. He's reporting back. All of these crimes, he, he's what wasn't there a moment where literally the Russians are saying, well, as long as the Clintons are there, we're going to get this done. That's exactly right. I mean, what the whistleblowers basically said is that he was subject to conversations uh, and, and saw interactions in which people were saying, look, the Clintons are going to be on board. Everything's going to be fine. And what the response has been from elements within the DOJ and the Obama Justice Department has basically been to attack him, to attack the informant. This is a guy that basically put his life on the line prior to serving as an FBI informant. Uh, this individual had a background in the CIA. And rather than you know, say we need to investigate and find out why this CFIUS process broke down, why Uranium One was approved. Instead, they're attacking the messenger. I, I want to know why. We know the name of the informant now. It's been public everywhere. William Campbell is his name. He's a 30 plus year veteran of working for the CIA uh, as a covert operative undercover. Uh, six years he spent within this particular network working on this particular case. The only reason he's come forward, according to congressional testimony that I, I am aware of and reporting of Sarah Carter and John Solomon and others, is because he couldn't believe what he was seeing. That, that he's reporting yeah. back to the FBI all of these crimes with Putin operatives and they're doing nothing except approving what Vladimir wants. That sounds like Russian collusion to me. Absolutely. And, and here's the bottom line. Look at a guy like William Campbell. He has nothing to gain by coming forward other than trying to protect his country and what he sees as a major scandalous event that occurred, the approval of this Uranium One deal and the fact that the FBI did not share his information with anybody else at the table. The Pentagon didn't And he's know got about all it. the evidence. He's got recollections. He's got tapes. He's got notes. Right. He's got his reports that he handed in. And then the question I think it comes down to right now is, what did Robert Mueller, then FBI director, know? When did he know it? And why didn't he act? That's why, exactly why didn't right. anybody act here knowing what was going on? It never made sense to ever give, you know, look, we, we do know Putin's a bad actor. We do know Russia's a hostile regime. And I know that at that point in time in 2009 that Hillary and Obama were you know, hell-bent on a reset. Remember, Hillary gave her Russian counterpart a, a red button to push, a right. reset button. But it never made sense that you'd give them our uranium. Here, here's our uranium. Now please like us and don't uh, be hostile to us. 
Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of people objecting to this deal. Uh, you had people in Congress who said this is a terrible idea. They pointed out that Rosatom, the entity that's going to control Uranium One, had built the nuclear ra- reactors in Iran, that they had been involved in the North Korean nuclear program. I mean, Rosatom is not the equivalent to the Department of Energy in the United States. This is the Russian government entity that controls their well, nuclear This is the arsenal. interesting thing, because didn't Rosatom and the bank involved in the financing of the Uranium One deal that was within in Russia, aren't they the ones that doubled Bill Clinton's normal speaking fee at the very time that this mattered? And didn't Bill Clinton meet himself with Vladimir Putin at the time? Absolutely, he did. Renaissance Capital, which is a investment uh, company in Moscow, which has been widely known, uh, the top elements of this finance company are populated by former FSB intelligence agents and others. I mean, this that's, is that's the former with KGB for yeah. those that don't know. Yeah, and they they gave Bill Clinton five hundred thousand dollars for a single speech he had only up to that point given one other speech ever in russia that was for less than a third of that 150 and he was trying to meet with the head of rosatom at the time that didn't work out but he did get a direct contact with vladimir putin that's exactly right i'd like to know what happened in that conversation maybe it was like maybe they were talking about their children like loretta lynch (laughs) on the tarmac right um when you wrote this did you know about the uh, William Campbell, did you know that we had had an informant in there? I didn't. Uh, the first I learned about it was from his attorney, Victoria Tunzing, who I'd known for years, a very serious national security attorney, uh, called me up and said there's an informant uh, that has information on Uranium One. So I didn't know about it. I looked at the money side of it, uh, the fact that the Clintons were making bank with these shareholders, nine of the shareholders in Uranium One gave donations to the Clinton Foundation for a total of $145 million. That's unbelievable. Odd. And, and you wonder, between the Uranium One deal and the Clinton bought and paid for dossier used to secure a FISA warrant against an opposition party candidate for a full year in the lead-up to an election, uh, yeah, there was Russia collusion, but it's not Trump-Russia collusion. When we come back, we'll get a preview when we get back about uh, Peter Schweitzer's new book, which is out soon. It's called Secret Empires. And as we continue, Peter Schweitzer is with us, author of the best-selling book, Clinton Cash. Uh, so you have a new book coming out in a couple of weeks. It's called Secret Empires, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends. And on the cover, you got a picture of Barack Obama, Joe Biden, John Kerry, Mitch McConnell, and Jared Kushner. Um, what do you give us? Give us a something here. I know it's embargoed. I have the only copy, apparently. Uh, so if it gets out, you'll know it's me. That's a good way. You didn't make me sign anything. Um, is this as bad and as big a blockbuster as Clinton Cash? Uh, honestly, it's worse. The 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 oh. amounts of money uh, are of a magnitude in some cases ten times uh, what you're talking about with the Clintons. Um, I can't you're go talking, into. You're talking about who specifically? Yeah, uh, I'm 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 talking about uh, people highlighted in the book. I well, all I can say, Sean, and and look, I I want to share it with you first, and I will share it with you first. All I will sh- say is. People will view the Obama administration from the standpoint of financial corruption completely differently after reading this book. Will they view him and Joe Biden differently? Uh, I think they yes, I think they will. I think when you will they view John Kerry and Mitch McConnell differently? I think they will. Yes. What about the son in law of the president? Well, I think what you what you have with uh, Jared Kushner is sort of looking to the future uh, that there are going to be opportunities presented 
uh, to family members. I mean, the subtitle of the book apl- explains it. There are there are family members of powerful politicians that get offered massive sweetheart foreign deals. Are you saying that that this is almost like an admonition or a warning to him, not something that he has been involved in? Uh, I, I would I would just say that, uh, you know, we're we're basically one year into a uh, Donald Trump administration. Don't fall prey to what others have. Is that's that, exactly right. That's that's a that's a fascinating read. How much money are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about individual deals involving family members uh, on the magnitude of, in some cases, one point five billion dollars with a B. And and we, these are foreign entities and they're getting something for their one point five billion dollars. Yes, that's a safe assumption. Yes. And they're getting access as part of it. Uh, yes. And getting favors. Is it is it as bad as uranium one? I think it's uh, in some cases it, it's you know, worse frustrating than this is you hand me the book. <laughs> I haven't read the book. Now I'm looking at this and you're literally, you know, it's so annoying that you won't give me even a, a nugget here. When is the book out? It's out March 20th. And okay. I'd love to come back and, and, and no, talk we'll, with you we'll, about it. In we'll, detail. we'll put you on for a full hour and we'll go over the book with a fine tooth comb between now and then. Also, uh, we'll put you on Hannity, obviously. I mean, uh, we first launched Clinton Cash, and I I had no idea how right you were in that book when I first interviewed you. And and I have referenced and gone back to your book and brought you back, you know, so many different times, especially as it relates to Uranium One. And everything that you had said turned out to be true and then some. There's even things you didn't know. Well, that's right. Um, And I appreciate that, Sean. And even going back further, when uh, when, uh, I first exposed insider trading on the stock market by members of Congress— I was on your show first, yeah, you are. and uh, they ended up passing a law and outlawing it. So, uh, yeah, the, the change can come when we draw attention to these issues. I, I don't understand for what amount of money that people do stupid, stupid stuff. I don't get it. Uh, Peter Schweitzer. Anyway, we'll put it up on our website if you want to get an early copy. Uh, it's released March 20th. Secret Empire is how the American political class hides corruption, enriches family and friends. And it's out March 20th. It's up on Hannity.com now. Peter, uh, I think we'll see you on TV tonight. Uh, we appreciate you being with us. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Sean. 800-941-SEAN. Your call's coming up next. Here's Sean Hannity. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. Let's take a little trip down at, at, to memory lane. So here we are at this late hour, late date. Now we've got FISA abuse being investigated by the Attorney General of the United States. Finally, no evidence of Russia collusion. Now, I'm going to play for you all of the media saying all of this and Democrats pushing the Steele dossier in light of everything we've learned now. This is so telling. According to Christopher Steele, a British, a former British intelligence officer who is reportedly held in high regard by U.S. intelligence, Russian sources tell him that Page has also had a secret meeting with Igor Sechin. According to Steele's Russian sources, Page has offered brokerage fees by Sechin. Also, according to Steele's Russian sources, the campaign is offered documents damaging to Hillary Clinton. According to Steele, it was Manafort who chose Page to serve as a go-between for the Trump campaign and Russian interests. Do you believe anything about that dossier? Oh, I think it should be uh, taken a look at. I think they should really read it, understand it, analyze it, and determine what's fact, what may not be fact. We already know that the part about uh, the coverage that they have on him uh, with sex actions uh, is supposed to be true. 
My focus today is to explore how many claims within Steele's dossier are looking more and more likely as though they are accurate. The dossier definitely seems right on these points. A quid pro quo relationship seems to exist between the Trump campaign and Putin's Russia. There is a lot in the dossier that is yet to be proven, but increasingly, as we'll hear throughout the day, allegations are checking out. What I have learned, I've heard about the dossier, it's about his involvement with women. It's about possibly prostitutes uh, that are involved in those kinds of things. That said, Wolf, we do want to hear from Christopher Steele. Uh, so far, a lot of what he has alleged in the dossier uh, has been proven. Uh, but Mr. Clapper then went on to say that, to his knowledge, there was no evidence of collusion between members of the Trump campaign and the Russians. We did not conclude any evidence in our report. And when I say our report, that is the NSA, FBI, and CIA, with my office, the Director of National Intelligence, that had anything, any reflection of collusion between the members of the Trump campaign and the Russians. There was no evidence of that in our report. Was Mr. Clapper wrong when he said that? I think he's right uh, about characterizing the report, which you all have read. We did not include any evidence in our report, and I say our, that's NSA, FBI, and CIA with my office, the Director of National Intelligence, that had anything, that had any reflection of collusion between members of the Trump campaign and the Russians. There was no evidence of that included in, in our report. Have you seen anything either intelligence briefings, through intelligence briefings, anything to back up any of the accusations that sure. you've made. They have the documentation that they did the hacking. The hacking. On the DNC. Right. And on some of us, you know, that had But the collusion, it. though. No, we have not. Do you have evidence that there was, in fact, collusion between Trump associates and Russia during the campaign? Not at this time. Have you seen anything that suggests any collusion between the Russians and the Trump campaign? Well, there's an awful lot of smoke there, let's put it that way. People that might have said they were involved, to what extent they were involved, to what extent the president might have known about these people or whatever. There's nothing there from that standpoint that we have seen directly linking uh, our president to any of that. Did evidence exist of collusion, coordination, conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russian state actors at the time you learned of 2016 efforts? I don't know whether or not such collusion, that's your term, such collusion existed, I don't know. The big questions, of course, is, is there any evidence of collusion you have seen yet? Is there? There is a lot of smoke. We have no smoking gun at this point, but there is a lot of smoke. Dianne Feinstein has said there's no evidence of collusion. So collusion between whom? Can you tell us that? I'm not prepared to say that there's proof you could take to a jury, but I can say that there is enough that we ought to be investigating. At the time you separated from service in January of 2017, had you seen any evidence that uh, Donald Trump or any member of his campaign colluded, conspired, or coordinated with the Russians or anyone else uh, to infiltrate or impact our uh, voter infrastructure? Um, not beyond uh, what has been out there open source and not beyond anything that I'm sure this committee has already seen and heard before directly from the intelligence community. If that doesn't if that doesn't say everything, I don't know what else will. Now that we know an unverified Clinton bought and paid for dossier. And then, of course, no evidence of collusion, no evidence of collusion, no evidence of collusion. Smoke, but no but no fire smoke, but no fire. 
And look what it's done to the country now for over a year, and the media has fueled the entire thing. All right, Dan in Michigan. Dan, you're next on the Sean Hannity Show. What's going on? Hey, Sean. How you doing? I'm good. Okay, Sean. Jeff Sessions recently said that the law required him to recuse himself because a lawful criminal investigation of the Trump campaign was ongoing and that he was part of the campaign. But now he knows that an unlawful criminal investigation is taking place full of prosecutorial abuse and clearly framing the Trump campaign for political purposes. So the same law that forced him to recuse himself now requires him to step back in and shut the criminals down. The truth, the law requires him to shut... If if he's not going to do it himself, then he needs to appoint somebody who will. That's absolutely true. And I'm not a big fan of special counsels for the very reason we see unfolding now before us. And he, all he has to do is shut the Mueller thing down because they're a criminal enterprise. Mm-hmm. That, you know? well, hey, Sean, Sean, real quick, the analogy is the Duke lacrosse deal. Yep. They, they, they framed the three Duke lacrosse players, and then they found out the prosecutor, Mike Nifong, was, was right. abuse, was framing them. And so what happened, Sean? The attorney general of North Carolina stepped forward and shut down Mike Nifong and ended his crimes. And so the Attorney General of the United States has to step forward and end the ongoing crimes of our Justice Department. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, this is the biggest abuse of power corruption case in the history of this country. That's it. And we have been chronicling it every single step of the way. And I know it's long and it's difficult and it's arduous and it's It's taken more time than any of us have ever wanted, but we're finally getting to truth. And what we have seen emerge, again, just reaffirms everything that we've been putting together now. It's a year's worth of work for a lot of us. And I look, this now gets to the heart of our Constitution, the rule of law, equal justice under the law, equal application of the law. And if we don't fix it, we we lose the very foundation of law that that. That renders a civil society civil. Anyway, I appreciate the call. Good call, Dan. Thank you. Mark is next in Maryland. Mark, how are you? Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, I listen to you all the time. You you are one of the main reasons why I got the uh, serious radio in my car. Um, for the longest time, we keep talking about the FISA court, the FISA judges, the FISA judges. Yeah, they're and they're secret, right? Yep. We don't know who they are. So they're so secret, we don't know who they are. Who's to say they're not in on it? I mean, we're just making the absolute assumption that, okay, they're neutral, they're in the middle, they make all these legitimate decisions, they're lawyers, whatever they were, but we don't, how do we vet that out? We have no idea. So who's to say that, you know, the FISA judge didn't go back to uh, the FBI and say, hey, look, give me something extra to go with here so it looks more legitimate, and then you can go spy on Trump mm-hmm. in the campaign. It, just, it, it's, it sounds like a conspiracy thing, but we have no idea. I mean, how do you... How do you verify that these guys are actually doing the right thing, not the left thing, right thing, but the correct thing? Listen, it's about time we're getting into the FISA abuses. It's about time. You can't use a bought and paid for Hillary dossier as the basis for a FISA warrant, the bulk of an application to spy on an opposition party candidate. You can't do it. We don't under that scenario. And the fact that they didn't tell the judge, we've got to get to the bottom of it. Why didn't they tell the judge? Why did they literally lie to this FISA court judge? They knew what they were doing. They knew it. They never verified it. They knew who paid for it. They never told the guy, ever. But we still... 
we still have no idea who these FISA judges are. So we don't even we're just making the flat out assumption that they are in the correct zone and asking for stuff. And, yeah, they gave them they gave them bizarre material to go with the, the dossier. But we don't even know who these guys are or girls, women, men. We don't know. So maybe there's something else there that we're just not even touching on that it might be part of the whole problem is, you know, they're the ones saying, yeah, no problem. Go spy on Trump. I don't want him for president either. Listen, and the fact that so many people lied about it and they even lied to Trump in January 2017, you know, three months earlier, they were saying to a FISA judge, oh, no, this is true. They presented it as true. They presented it as a non-political document. And then they go, well, this is not verified, and it's salacious. That's all we can tell you about it. It was an outright lie by James Comey. Shocker. Can't wait for James Comey's book to come out. He's bragging on Twitter how he's going to go on George Stephanopoulos' show. Yeah, why not go on Hillary Clinton's favorite show with her favorite campaign operative? It's ridiculous, and it's corrupt. And the media fueling all this, all this time, it's unbelievable. Dave is in Albany, New York, WGY. What's up, Dave? How are you? I'm well. Thank you for taking my call. After 27 years of military service and retiring, I'm very, very happy to talk with you and say thank you for all you've done for military folks. I know you and your family sacrifice a lot of your time and efforts. Thank you very much for that. Listen, compared to the military, it's nothing. You, Everything that every American, every bit of freedom we have and take for granted is because of what the military does for us every single day. And we honor all of you. No, thank you very much. I just wanted to add my two cents on the gun issue going on, especially as relates to principles. If the principle is going to be put out there, then you need to live by the principle. You can't just talk one. You've got to walk one. If Delta is going to go ahead and walk it back, that they don't want to support the organization that actually supported having their pilots be armed, then perhaps they should disarm their pilots. If they're not going to recognize the good, moral, upstanding, law-abiding people of the NRA, then perhaps they shouldn't get the tax break that they were going to get that now the Senate of, uh, of Georgia has said maybe they don't deserve that because of the way that they're treating law-abiding people uh, with that particular thing. I just find it amazing, and someone said it, whether it was you on your show or, or, or uh, Levin, about civic cowardice, about just quickly reacting to something because a bunch of loudmouths got on your Twitter, Facebook, or whatever account and started posting you know, rants instead of facts, and then you react to that and jump on a bandwagon, that's not the smart thing to do. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I think that the, look, how many NRA members now are going to fly Delta? I don't think a lot of them. You know, I, I mean, they think they're doing something, I guess, that takes away the, the discounts of people that want to travel on Delta. I, look, look what's happening. They get forty five million dollars in tax breaks that they want from the state of Georgia. And now the person running for lieutenant governor saying, no, I don't think that's a good idea. That's not going to happen. So um, uh, and if you look at in light of everything we now know about what happened in this case, it's unbelievable. And I think that you're going to see a lot of people say, you know what, I'd rather travel this airline or maybe I can get a better fare here. And I think that, you know, look, companies have got to understand that liberals, they fly. Conservatives fly. Republicans fly. Democrats fly. Libertarians fly. Uh, people of all faiths fly. Uh, people of all backgrounds fly. You know what? They just what they ought to do is just stay out of politics. And now we're learning that, in fact, this shooting had everything to do with failure within you know, a lot of different areas and every sign that we'd ever want was available and we did nothing. And if we would have just done our job in this case, we could have prevented a tragedy. That's what's sad. All right. I appreciate the call. Alabama. Cheyenne is uh, on the phone. Cheyenne, how are you? Glad you called. 
Hi, thanks. I was calling about uh, some of the comments you guys made yesterday, and I was just thinking, you know, you can't enroll your child in school uh, unless they've been vaccinated. Uh, they have to bring in their updated vaccinated slip. Um, you can't enroll your kid in school unless they have a medical, physical. They can't play sports unless they have a physical. Um, we have no requirement on mental health, uh, mental health status. So you can enroll your kid in school no matter what their mental health status is. Um, I know one of the arguments to that is probably going to be, you know, there's not enough hands on deck, there's not enough counselors, but every school has a counselor. Uh, all these counselors. I think the time to like, be counseling these kids is when the, you can't bring a backpack to school because they fear violence. That would have been the time to bring a counselor into the school and make sure this kid was being taken care of. Now, maybe they even did some of that. I don't know. But obviously, the signs were missed here. In school, there needs to be at least a, a mini mental status exam to say, hey, you know, is my red flag going up? Should I refer this kid maybe to community mental health? Maybe to go ahead and get a a full psychiatric eval before we go ahead and let them enroll in school instead of saying, okay, let's just let them go ahead and enroll in school and hope for the best. Yeah, well, I think they eventually put him in the other school because of his behavior, but clearly that wasn't enough. All right, Hannity tonight, 10 Eastern, an investigation, a Hannity investigation into the Broward County Sheriff's Department. Now that new developments come out every single day and what should happen to the sheriff. Uh, Mr. Israel of this Broward County. That's the big question. Also be playing some of the strange and bizarre things that he's been saying. And we also have an update to our story from earlier today. Yes, there will be, through the Inspector General, there will be an investigation into FISA abuses. Finally, we're now getting closer to the truth every day. Sarah Carter, David Schoen, and so much more all coming up. That's 9 Eastern Hannity on the Fox News Channel. Hope you set your DVR news and information you won't get anywhere else. We'll see you tonight at 9, back here tomorrow. Thanks for being with us. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.